0: Thank you to Wildcare and Wildlife Acoustics for sponsoring the Bat Chat podcast. Can you hear that? We can. Wildlife Acoustics creates the world's leading bat acoustic monitoring tools designed to help scientists make impactful discoveries for our biologically diverse planet, turning this into this. Visit wildlifeacoustics.com to learn more. Wildcare are committed to supporting the ecology industry and are specialists in supplying a large range of monitoring, conservation and habitat management products, as well as equipment hire and service and repair. With a large range of products coupled with friendly and expert help and advice, Wildcare is a favourite supply for ecologists nationwide. Go to wildcare.co.uk to see the full range and quote BatChat at the checkout for 10% off all bat detectors and bat boxes. Well, it might be October, but these greater horseshoe bats are still in their summer roost, and you can hear them leaving around me into the darkening sky. This week, I'm in the southwest in the county of Devon. Welcome to Bat Chat. Yes, welcome to this week's episode of Bat Chat from the Bat Conservation Trust. Thanks for downloading this episode. We hope you enjoy it. I'm Steve Rowe, and as you just heard, this week we're in the southwest of England. The day after making those recordings of Greater Horseshoes leaving their roosts in late October, I met Helen Parr from the Devon Greater Horseshoe Bat Project to find out what the project has achieved as it comes to a close. I started off by asking Helen to tell us a bit about herself and how she got involved in the project.
1: Helen Parr and I'm the Community Engagement Officer on the Devon Great Horseshoe Back Project. Um, I started on the project back in 2014 which was actually our pilot year Uh, so two of us on the project at that point and then as we got confirmation of our lottery funding from the National Lottery Heritage Fund we then had started on a five-year project so we're just sort of coming up to the end of that now. My previous sort of background is as a uh, I suppose a conservationist. I uh, used to work for the Woodland Trust and then I went more into environmental education and sort of tree planting with, with school, groups of school children and, and other people. So this job really appealed to me because I enjoyed that the education side of things and the conservation and the engagement work. So it was a really good way of being able to do that. And although I'm not a bat specialist, but obviously I've learnt a lot about bats and my role in the project is to sort of promote that information and enthusiasm and try and get people engaged in the project.
0: So we're stood outside a ruined church on top of a hill, why are we here?
1: Okay, so we're here because we're quite near the, the largest maternity roost for the Greater Horseshoe Bats in the, in the whole of Northern Europe, so we're not going to specifically say where we are but um, we're on one of the quite well-known flight flyways or flight paths of, of the Greater Horseshoe Bats, that, that roost fairly near here. Uh, and so that you know, it's the largest roost of its kind. So it's a really important one in Devon.
0: And why was the project set up, and how long has it been running for?
1: So the aim of the project is to secure the future for greater horseshoe bats in Devon. And Devon is a stronghold for these bats. Uh, you know, their numbers have declined by ninety percent in the last sort of uh, century, last few decades. Uh, and so this seemed like a really good place to sort of focus the efforts on, you know, securing a future for these bats uh, and hopefully reversing that decline, stabilising it and then hopefully to see an, an increase in the numbers of bats.
0: Cool. Shall we have a look around the church?
1: Yeah. This was destroyed by arson, the church.
0: And do the horseshoes from the maternity roost end up foraging around the churchyard? Here? I
1: think, um, yeah, so this church, um, unfortunately, uh, it's in ruins now. I mean, the, the main tower is still intact. But over the last sort of 150 years, it's had a sort of run of misfortune, really. And I think it was first hit by a lightning strike. Then that was repaired. And then it was in the late 1800s, uh, part of it was destroyed by arson. And then in World War Two. Uh, lots of the windows were shattered by some uh, German bombs being dropped nearby (laughs) and then in in the 1990s it was uh, affected by arson again uh, and it was turned into this ruin that you can see now but the structure's still here but obviously there's no roof on it Uh, and I think it must have been decided at the time that it just wasn't possible at the cost of um, rebuilding it so it's this ruin now, but it does mean that the, the graveyard and the, and the land around the church is quite good for wildlife. Uh, it's left, you know, it's not manicured, so it's quite rough grass, and it, so it's good for the insects that the greater horseshoe bats need to eat.
0: And looking through the broken windows, you can see the surrounding landscape of the rolling hills of Devon. Why is the, the southwest such a stronghold for the greater horseshoe bats?
1: So I think uh, about a 100 years ago, the greater horses were actually found right across the whole of the southern part of England and Wales. But over time, their range has contracted by about half. And so that we only find them now in the southwest and parts of southern Wales. And it's all to do with loss of habitat, unfortunately. So um, as development has uh, increased in the southeast uh, and uh, increased intensification of agriculture over the last years this has just resulted in loss of habitat. so less insects so less food for the bats and so they're obviously they're going to do well where there is more food availability uh, and and places for them to roost and places for them to hunt so uh, Devon is actually quite good in that respect we have you know lots of the habitats they need here Uh, and although we have lost uh, lots of our hedgerows just like other parts of the country we still have that kind of network of, of smallish fields <laughs> and, and hedges that are really important for the bats as they're echolocating and navigating their way around the countryside at night.
0: I was going to say, like looking down the landscape, that's one of the key features. You can see those small parcels of fields with those that that connectivity of hedgerows. I guess, isn't it?
1: Yeah, it's really fantastic sort of views on, on today across and over the, the trees as they're turning colour and. You can see the wood little copses and woodland edges on the edge of, on the edge of Dartmoor particularly. As, as you get onto the tops of Dartmoor, uh, obviously there's not so much tree cover, but these edges, although they're fairly high above sea level, but you've still got this old patchwork of hedges and you've got the rivers and streams and they're quite close to the river dart here. So that's a, a, an important river feature in the landscape as well. And also... Uh, uh, next to the church there's a farm which uh, is some of the work we've been doing is with that farm and uh, there's lots of cattle grade, grazed pastures around here uh, and where those, uh, where the cattle aren't wormed with really toxic wormers we find that um, the less toxic worming treatments result in a lot more dung beetles in the cowpats, and that's a really important prey for the greater horseshoe bats so this sort of area's got it all, all really even though we're quite close to a, a main dual carriageway. But despite that, the bats seem to be doing well here.
0: So what are the different elements of the project? you mentioned farming and you've mentioned the habitat connectivity. What are those different elements of the projects?
1: Yes, yeah, so the three main areas of the project are community engagement, uh, farm advice work and scientific work. So my role is working on the community engagement uh, and that's to raise awareness and to engage whole communities and schools and members of the public around Devon in raising awareness of this bat because a lot of them won't know anything about bats perhaps obviously they're nocturnal so lots of people haven't never even seen a bat uh, and also they've probably never even heard of a, or hadn't five years five or six years ago ever heard of a greater horseshoe bat and so by raising awareness it means that as we come to the end of the project we hope that that message is now there, out there in the communities across Devon uh, and will be sort of taken on everything that you know, people have learnt about the importance and how lucky they are to have this special bat living on their doorsteps. That will be taken on. And the farm advice element of the project is uh, to work with landowners around our focus priority areas, which are around the maternity roofs of these bats, because that's obviously really important to maintain the population, is that the habitats are healthy around the roofs. Um, and while people in communities can do lots in their gardens, obviously there's the wider landscape. And so our, the farm there's two farm advisors that have worked on our project team and they've carried out hundreds of advisory visits over the last few years, as well as training workshops, uh, assisting landowners uh, is into putting um, stewardship applications in, uh, with uh, items in their application that are good for bats, such as uh, orchard restoration or hedgerow planting, uh, um, orchard planting, uh, and, and raising, particularly raising awareness about the whole parasite management issue. And, and often people just didn't know they go and go and buy the worming treatments that they need in the store and they didn't really know that one would be more toxic than the other. So once they realise and know that there are small things they could do to help, they've been really positive and enthusiastic about supporting the project and supporting the bats. So that's really nice to hope that that will go on into the future now that people know all about it. And then the third element of the project is the scientific research. So trying to find out more about bats. And uh, we've done that through some targeted research survey work using um, SM2 and more recently SM4 bat detectors, also anabat detectors. And we've also run our Devon bat survey, which is a big citizen science project, getting lots of volunteers involved in helping us gather even more bat data.
0: And the community engagement side of it, has there been a hunger from the public and the schools to to absorb that information? Has that been something that's been quite receptive from the community?
1: Yeah, it's been really good. Um, Schools are so busy, it's actually hard sometimes, even when you offer them a free visit for something. They're they're like, oh, I don't know if we've got time. But when I've been able to go into schools, I actually added up the numbers recently because we're doing all our end of year reporting soon. And I've, you know, reached over five and a half thousand wow. children. Uh, that's mainly primary, but also some secondary and some special schools as well. And that's not counting all the staff and the teaching assistants and maybe their parents if they would go home and talk about it to their families. So, and they've just all been really enthusiastic because they think bats may be a bit scary or they, don't know much about it and when you tell them about it they're really excited and they want to do something to help so I think it's really nice in these stressful times that we're in that they can instead of worrying about the world at large they can actually do something positive to help something that's living on their doorstep.
0: And what sort of things have you been doing with the children at schools has it been practical stuff or more classroom based stuff?
1: Yeah well I think it should sure both really, and it's really it's been all about whatever they've been interested in. So I've tried to make it quite flexible and I've set up a Bat Buddy Award scheme which they can join up to and once they've done 10 things uh, towards each level of award, they get can get a bronze, silver or gold award for all the activities that they've done. So it's been a, a really fun way of engaging them and about 30 uh, of those awards have been sort of given out and as the project ends we hope we're hoping to put that as an online award on our website so that uh, any school anywhere in devon or in the country really could sign up use all the resources and activities that we've developed and added to our website uh, and take part and so that will carry on as well hopefully
0: give us an example of some of the activities that you would do outside within them
1: yeah, so, well, one uh, good example is uh, actually a school that's uh, in the village here. Uh, and we went out for uh, the day, actually. So they learned about bats in class. And then we went out for the day. Didn't cost the school anything. You know, that's often a barrier for school trips and things. We walked up to the local farm near here. And they kindly let us wander around the fields. And we talked about the importance of dung beetles and so cow pats. At first, they were like, what do you mean we're going to look in a cow pack? And so we got some sticks and we poked around cowpats, and we had a, a little sheet with a guide of different types of dung beetles. And they found all the dung beetles in the cowpats. And we just said, "It's such a, you know such an important prey item for the bats. But if the if the animals are looked after in a certain way, then and not wormed with really toxic sort of wormers, then you get not, instead of a sterile cowpat with no insects in it, you get these." cowpats that are sort of alive with dung beetles uh, and other fly dung flies which are really great prey as they fly up uh, at night the the bats can swoop down and catch them
0: i bet kids love messing around the with kids cowpats
1: loved now. it I, I don't know if the teachers were <laughs> <that cleaner. laughs>
0: Shall we have a wander down towards the roost then yeah sure So Helen, just as we're walking down this nice green lane, so we've got nice typical Devon hedgerows either side with a nice bit of stone wall underneath and then trees growing out the top of it, a nice sort of overhead canopy, like almost creating a tunnel in these autumn leaves. How has COVID-19 affected the project this year?
1: Oh yeah, so um, it has affected us quite a bit uh, because we haven't been able to do a lot of our face-to-face Uh, events uh, or going into schools or visiting farmers initially but some of that farm visit has been able to restart you know obviously where things are outside or someone's just visiting a farm and having a wander around that's fine Um, but what we've done each September we've had a bat festival with lots of events and what we did this year was we switched to doing some online events so lots of chats about bats we were calling it about different things like there was someone talking about moths because that's a, a good prey item for great horseshoe bats uh, and some of the community people that have been involved in the community projects have talked about what they've been doing so that's just been a nice nice way of reaching more people in fact as well who perhaps can't always get out to events outside uh, or further away from their home so they've been able to join us online for to do some Uh, activities we've done some training online as well so that's been quite a good replacement obviously it's not the same as being out and about seeing people but hopefully people will get back to that uh, next year unfortunately our project will be finished by then but because of all the work with the communities and we've accredited five community as bat friendly communities uh, because of all the great bat stuff they've done and We're really confident now that they can just carry on the messages out there and that's the whole idea of having community engagement on a project like this is that if you just spend five years doing really great work it's no good if that work doesn't carry on especially for something like great populations of greater horseshoe bats because it's a very much a long-term project to to keep keep the good work going so that the bats uh,
0: future is secured so when's the project due to finish then
1: so it'll be finishing at the end of this year which is a shame for all of us on the project we've got a really good project team um but you know we feel that we've got that message out there and achieved everything we set out to do which is, is really good And because it's a big partnership project there are 18 partners on the project and devon wildlife trust uh, who's hosting our team is the lead partner on the project, but there are all the other partners. So in Devon, there are all of the area of outstanding natural beauty teams. There's four four different teams around uh, the county. Uh, there's Devon Bat Group, and then nationally, sort of partners like uh, the Bat Conservation Trust uh, and um, other partners. I can't name, I won't name them all now. But uh, they have all that information also now, and they can hopefully carry continue with the work. Uh, and we've tried to get the message out there to planners as well, so uh, at a higher level. To try, um, Devon County Council is one of our partners, and to just try and influence what's happening at, a sort of, at that higher level of, of planning, of planning applications, and taking into account what Greater Horseshoes might need, or whether they're around.
0: So, Helen, we've come out of the end of this this green walkway and through a gate and into what's quite a public area. We can see people looking down a grill down into an old lime kiln. Um, whereabouts is the i from here, then?
1: Yes, well, here we're just standing, looking down into a, a small quarried area. And so something else I should have mentioned when we were talking about why is Devon good for bats is there are just so many cave systems around. So these limestone caves, especially in South Devon, a really great hibernation uh, or roosting spots for the bats and so the ones here are really re- it's a really enormous underground network of caves so it's really popular with cavers um, and there's and archaeologists have, have come here for sort of over a 100 years I think um, so these what we're looking at now we can sort of look down and through the trees and just see under the, under the rocks, and, in, and that leads into some ke- the cave systems. So this is a really good um, winter hibernating, hibernation spot for the greater horseshoes. Um, and then from here they, they move out into a, su- a summer roost nearby, which we'll go and have a look at a bit later. But that, in here there w- was a, a sinkhole, and they found bones of animals here such as hyena and bison and elephants. Uh, all, all, which all lived here in the area in the last interglacial period about 125,000 years ago. So it's a really interesting site and there's a small museum here which um, is not open to the public but it, it can be open for visits in, in, in normal times and uh, groups of cavers or students can, can come and actually stay here if they're coming to do some studying here. So yes, yeah, so it's a really important site.
0: And you said this is Northern Europe's largest known greater horseshoe roost. Why is it here in Devon?
1: Well, I think in this particular area, it's it's largely to do with these these cave systems. So you've got the the good habitats around uh, and you've also got these caves. So they've always had somewhere really good to, to roost and obviously... In more recent decades bats have moved into barns but they didn't have the use of those hundreds and hundreds of years ago so um, they they would have dealt, had winter and summer roosting in, in different parts of the cave system but I mean it's absolutely, ext- it's really extensive under the ground here so we probably only know the sort of tip of the iceberg really on, the, on winter hibernation spots because uh, we focused on our project on the 11 maternity roosts across Devon um, so we we don't know so much about the winter roofs. We know of a few key winter roosts, but certainly I wouldn't I uh, wouldn't think all of them.
0: And is there any evidence for long distance movement from summer sites to their winter hibernation sites?
1: Um, there's no evidence of international migration of greater horseshoes. Although apparently one popped up in Ireland. <laughs> we don't know how it got there. Uh, but they, they can, greater horseshoes can fly quite a long distance to other roosting sites, uh, particularly the males. But they prefer to stay local if they can and if the habitats are right. Uh, so I guess we're, by improving habitats around existing roosts, we're, we're hoping that uh, the bats don't need to travel as far. And particularly the lactating females in the, throughout the summer, You know, the further they have to go to catch their prey, then... Is not going to be so good for the for the juveniles, juvenile bats but on the pups because they won't get as much food perhaps, or they won't have the care of the, the mother around them as much if they have to be away for longer periods of time.
0: And obviously Devon's a very coastal county. Have any of the sea caves along the coastline been studied as part of the project?
1: So, so one of the maternity roosts is actually at Berry Head, which is a national nature reserve near Brixham. And it, although it's not a natural cave, it's a, it's part of a quarry. But it is right by the sea, uh, and then so two sort of two sides of it are surrounded by sea, uh, and the other third sort of side is is Brixham, which is quite built up. And so they have sort of very limited space that they can come out of the roost and then forage along. They tend to sort of go along the coast path um and so there's been some survey work done on how the routes that they're following because their routes are so limited for the bats there and i don't think we've done so much on the sort of shoreline activity Uh, most people that have taken part in our devon bat survey projects have been inland rather than on right on the coast But uh, there has been some detected along the beaches in North Devon near some of the known roofs up there. Uh, And there have been about 10 recordings of greater horseshoes uh, along these coastlines. And there's probably a lot more. And I did hear that uh, there are some beach huts uh, near one of our other project areas, which is near Beer in East Devon. And there's some beach huts along the beach. And apparently someone did find some greater horseshoe dropping (laughs) in one of the beach huts so it was obviously a very discerning bat that took up residence there for for a while
0: (laughs) and apart from all the community engagement work in terms of all the stuff you've done with the schools and and the community the community garden side of things you mentioned earlier you've been putting out these remote recording bat detectors how did that booking system work and and how many detectors have been deployed over the last five years
1: yeah so we were really lucky because um Stuart Newson, who, who works at the British Trust for Ornithology, had, and also has a great interest in bats, had already set up a sim, and run a similar survey in Norfolk. And so we got in touch with Stuart. And he kindly set up a similar system, a uh, booking system, for our own Devon bat survey, and we followed a similar methodology. So what happens is between April and September each year, um we've had 20 sm4 bat detectors available for for people to borrow uh for three nights each so four day booking for three nights to put out where where they like but mainly people have put that in their gardens or on their land or on someone's land who they must know the land to do it um and each year up to about 750 people have been able to take part in that across the whole of that April to September period.
0: So just a few recordings then?
1: Just a few recordings oh, since doing it in 2016. So over yeah, 2,500 separate surveys have been carried out. And it's just been a brilliant way of engaging people in the project. People absolutely love it because after we've analysed the data and produced reports... They receive a report detailing the different species of bats that they've picked up uh, uh, and the number of passes as well and a bit more information about the bats and we found yeah lots of locations for other uh, where other bat species have maybe not been picked up so much before and now we've got all these records and all these records are going to be passed to the Devon Biodiversity Record Centre so There'll be all this information that if people want to use it for future work, that's fine. Uh, And then about a third of all of the locations surveyed have had greater horseshoe bats present, which is fantastic. Partly that's because it's been concentrated perhaps in the areas where we've been raising awareness, where we already know that they're there. But it's also picked up some potential other roosts and we're now, people are looking at some radio tracking in some areas to see if we actually have some other maternity roofs uh, around the county and also the uh, greater horseshoe bats are, are very sensitive to light and so uh, some of the uh, places they've been picked up in cities such as exeter and plymouth have been in darker bits of parkland and around back gardens which and it just shows how important even these small areas are particularly if they're not brightly lit spaces
0: and the third of the sites that had horseshoes recorded, how does that compare with what you thought you knew? Were you expecting to find horseshoes on, on all of those locations or have there been new locations yeah. found within them? Yeah,
1: there? it's definitely been, I think we didn't necessarily have any expectations apart from knowing that we would probably find them around the maternity roof. Um, it, the, the Devon, most of our work has, on the project has been focused around them within a sort of four kilometre radius from the maternity roofs. However, for Devon Bat Survey, we've run that across the whole county. So people have been able to select survey squares in other areas that we just didn't really have any data for. So in that respect, it's been really useful to, to pick up these numbers and where we see a cluster of you know, numbers that we, we think, oh, that's quite a lot for that area. It means that we can go in and or do, or in the future, there can be more work st- done in these areas. Uh, and And especially to look at, linking the the areas the sustenance zones and the areas around the maternity roofs with the with another roofs nearby because they do travel these long distances so in south devon for example there are seven of the 11 um, maternity roofs and some of them aren't that far from each other so if more work can be done linking those with sort of corridors of hedge management and planting and so on uh, then that and wildflower meadows for example, that could then link all those together because if something happened to the roost here it's such a large roost would be it would have really dramatic consequences on the population of greater horseshoes in the UK in fact so the more we can improve the other roosts around about and, and link them together and, and improve connectivity in the landscape for bats the, the better of the bats
0: I mean that, that connection of those landscapes has that been what some of the, the farming elements of the project as well has been all about?
1: Yeah, I think initially to raise awareness and get farmers to to think about what they could do on their land, but then mapping we've mapped all that work on on QGIS mapping system uh, and then we can look at where these things can link together and perhaps any future work could look at where are the gaps in between. Uh, and so you get a really great picture of, of what, what's happening in these key priority areas, but also how that could link with new roosts or new areas of interest.
0: And just before we head down to the, the actual roost site itself, the detect system, you said obviously there's been hundreds of people booking those out. How did yeah. that booking system work and how did it manage to reach so many people in one go?
1: So that once the booking system was set up, we what we had was different, uh, what we call monitoring centres where people could come and pick up the kit so we made like a box which uh, we had a box for each uh, of these 20 monitoring centres around the county which had the detector the microphone it had information it had all the instructions people needed it had batteries and the battery charger and these monitoring centres were things like garden centres and libraries so they were either businesses local businesses or community facilities or, or town halls uh, and they really kindly offered us, they were basically volunteering because they then had to do the work to hand out the equipment. And then people could book on our, we have a book, an online booking system on our devonbackproject.org website where people could book, uh, request a square and then book a date and, of when they were going to do their survey and where they would pick it up from. And then the monitoring centre would receive notification of that and then hand it to the person when they came and then four days later they'd bring it back so we literally couldn't have done it without the help of those 20 monitoring centers so that's been great and the way that we've promoted it is through the communities that we're working in but also through some sort of media appearances and press releases and going on the sort of local tv news programs and and that was so popular one time that it crashed the booking system wow Something must be going right.
0: Where should people go if they want to find out more about the project?
1: DevonBatProject.org
0: DevonBatProject.org And
1: uh, although the project is coming to an end, we are maintaining that for at least five years. And I'm busy at the moment uploading lots more information. Um, So there's a a downloads page, there are uh, films that people can watch about the project. Uh, and so there'll be a, there's a set of management guides linked to the farm advice and work there's educational resources that schools can use and as i said we'll be trying to get the the bat buddy award for schools online by the end of this year as well there's a really good resource for anyone who's interested in bats and, and particularly in the greater horseshoes in devon
0: so, the project's not been a small undertaking, it's been a five year project. You've got a website that's ongoing for another five years after this. Obviously, it's had several staff. Where's all the, the funding come from?
1: Yes, yeah, so our, our main funder was the National Lottery Heritage Fund. Uh, so, that was a, a really big application uh, which was successful following the pilot year of them. Uh, and then there are fundraisers at Devon Wildlife Trust have worked really hard over the years to to also provide match funding from other funders as well, um, such as the Disney Conservation Fund, for example, who funded some of the bat detectors uh, and, and other funders and small trusts. So there's still been a lot of fundraising work to do in that respect.
0: So Helen, we've come down away from the church and away from the lion kilns into... A more urban area we can hear the dual carriageway quite close to us on the microphones now what are we looking at here do you just want to describe the yeah. the so reserve that we're in now
1: we're in um a reserve that's owned actually owned by vincent wildlife trust which is one of the partners in the project uh, and we're standing we're looking up to a very high sort of quarry cliff face, aren't we some birds up on the some of the grubby trees that are growing out of the the limestone rocks here Uh, and then in in the bottom around us are two large barns and they're quite smart barns because they've been done up nicely by Vincent Wildlife Trust because the bats were known to be using it as a maternity roof site uh, and as it's such a large large numbers of bats here the barns have been refurbished, but the bats were already using this. And we can see a a locked gate uh, with bars on it ahead of us, which leads into the cave, into the cave system there. And so that's where the bats go in the winter. And then in the summer, they're using the barns here, uh, particularly the one on our right, which is uh, where the females have their young in the summertime.
0: So, I mean, it's ideal really for bats, isn't it? We've got the nice the nice warm barns for the summer and then it's literally just 10, 20 metres to the to the underground cave site there.
1: Yeah, it seems perfect. And it's very sort of overgrown. There's lots of vegetation. So there'll be lots of, lots of insects available here. Again, they can fly out from here. They can fly up through the flyways across some of the cattle graze land near here, uh, picking up dung beetles as they go. Uh, and they can head down the river Dart, uh which is really there's really nice countryside around there again there'll be lots of insect prey for them
0: as the project and the devon wildlife trust have they been working quite closely with vincent wildlife trust to join this project
1: yeah definitely as one of the 18 partners on the project uh we've, we yeah we've worked closely with them because they also own one of the other maternity roof sites in devon uh, and so we've yeah worked in partnership And what's exciting about here is we've actually put in some infrared cameras so we can, uh, as well as the survey work we're doing, we can actually find out even more about the bats because we've got a camera right inside the roost. And so from about June to September, as soon as the, the pregnant females move in, we can actually start watching them. And we run that as a live feed on our website. So that's been another really great way to engage people um, obviously it's infrared so the bats aren't being disturbed then there's no light but we're able to watch them and see what they're doing and then we can actually spot when the first pups are born because the, as the females go out hunting they'll they leave their pups even on the first day that they're born that they're, they're all sort of born around the same time of year uh, and I think as I understand it they're all born in the morning and then in the evening the, the females will go out hunting and you, if you look closer you could spot the tiny pups sort of clinging on to the, the walls of the barn which has actually got quite a nice sort of mesh that's been put on it just to make it more comfortable for them.
0: <laughs> and I've seen, I mean I've been on the website like you say sometime around June, July when when that video footage has been has been going and it's a live stream and it's really quite impressive isn't it with the number of bats that you can see in there.
1: Yeah, there's literally hundreds and they all, they cluster together in these enormous groupings to, so that they keep really warm. So re, they're right at the, the highest point of the roof space. Uh, and that's because the, because bats are mammals like us, they, the, the young need to be born in nice warm conditions. So it's not very comfortable for the female, adult females probably, but that's the best thing for the pups. And that's why it's in that part of the barn. Uh, So they cluster together and then they start having their pups and then they stay there for for most of the summer, actually, as the pups get stronger and you can see them flapping their wings, the juvenile bats are getting their muscles strong enough to take their first flights and then you start to see them flying around in the roost. Then in September, they'll be leaving the roost as well as the mums to go out learning how to hunt for their prey and finding things like small dung beetles and crane flies and things that are really good for young bats in September and then eventually there's a point where they move out of view of the camera because they don't need to be in such a warm space anymore.
0: And just before we get absolutely drenched here is the heavens are just about to open why do you think the project has been so popular?
1: Oh I just think people just seem to really love sort of learning about bats is something that they didn't know about. They probably didn't know bats love to be insects and maybe people didn't realise if they just did a bit more in their garden or in fact less in their garden to make it better for wildlife so leave it more wild, plant lots of uh, pollinator-friendly plants so that attract moths at night uh, and other insects then they can actually help provide food for these endangered bats and hopefully help in in the sort of challenge of securing a future for them really. And what's also been great is just the support that's come from farmers and landowners who genuinely want to do what they can as well to, to help with conservation on their farm. And the other really important thing about this project is, although it's about one single species... Actually, anything you do for greater horseshoes, because they're such a fabulous indicator of a really healthy landscape with good habitats, if you do something for them, you're going to be helping other bat species. You're going to be helping insect populations, which, as we know, you know, they're in such decline that anything you can do to help insects is a good thing. Uh, and other wildlife, such as small mammals and all the other wildlife which uses these, these bat-friendly habitats.
0: Helen Parr from the Devon Greater Horseshoe Bat Project. Thank you very much. Thank you. And to find out more about the project, all the links you need are in the show notes of this episode. Thanks for listening. We'd love it if you can share our podcast with your friends or on social media to help other people find the show. We'll be back in two weeks' time with Sue Swift, author of the definitive work on long-eared bats. So join us then. What did you think of this episode? If you can please leave a quick comment about the show in the ratings and review section, we'd really appreciate it. It helps other listeners to discover our podcast.